A reading from the Gospel according to St. John, beginning at the 14th chapter, the 15th verse. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in God, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by God, and I will love them and reveal, reveal myself to them. Do this, not Iscariot said to them. Lord, how is it that you would reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from God, who sent it. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom God will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to God because God is greater than I. Now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. I don't know about you, but I'm a bit numb this morning after the events at the Robb Elementary School in the Valley on Tuesday. The horror and the collective grief that we all feel about this senseless loss of those lives leaves us reeling. I was listening to the University of Southern California's classical station Tuesday night while I was doing the dishes. And the online announcer said, sometimes like this evening, words just aren't adequate. You need some music. And he played Renee Fleming singing Pia Yesu from the Huare Requiem. Well, unfortunately, I don't have Renee Fleming here with me this morning, so I'm going to have to try and make do with words. Face it, grief has surrounded us not just this week, but it has surrounded us and weighed us down for a few years now. There have been lost jobs. 
and homes. We have lost friends. We have lost loved ones. The fabric that seemed to hold our country and our world together seems to be being ripped to shreds. Hopes and dreams have been shattered, and then we learned the horror of killing children and teachers. Not far, it seems, from our church door. I find it hard to believe that anyone has remained untouched by loss in some way over the last few years. How often have we honestly asked ourselves, where has God been in all of this? Now don't misunderstand me. God was present in that classroom and hallways of the Robb Elementary Tuesday afternoon. Jesus' heart was breaking as the horror was taking place. But what I'm asking is, has God been there for those families and for us? Has the Holy One been there in the ways we may have expected God to be there? I've been revisiting the writings of C.S. Lewis a bit lately. Lewis was a late convert to Christianity, and he didn't marry until he was in his late 50s. At that time, he married another adult convert, Joy Davidman. Joy was suffering from cancer when they married. She had a brief remission period, and that allowed them a period of great happiness. But then she relapsed, and his wife of only a few years slowly died before his eyes. Soon after Joy's funeral, Lewis began to jot down his thoughts in the back of notebooks. Just before his own death, they were published in a little book that was called A Brief Observed. Now at the beginning, he makes no effort to hide how disappointed he is in his new religion. What happened to him in the midst of his grief wasn't what he was expecting. And the early pages of that book are literally reeking with despair. However, as he continues to work through his grief, he begins to realize that the problem wasn't with God, but with himself. It was his own expectations, not the experiences themselves, that were the cause of the problem. You know, many times we experience disappointments in our grief because we started out with the wrong expectations. Either from our own imagination or from what others have told us, we have anticipated that our grief experience will be one way, and it isn't like that at all. Watching Lewis gain a different view of what his religion meant to him in the depths of his grief as he goes through the pages of this little book, the book ends on a much brighter note than it began. And I suspect that all of us have gone through some of these same experiences like Lewis. And even though it may have been a fleeting thought, how many of us can honestly say that we have not questioned where God was in the midst of our pain and desperation? And was God really there with me? I've had those moments in the depths of darkness and despair where I for a moment at least wondered was God really there? And honestly, I can say that in those moments, there was always something there. God was there. I was given help, but just like Lewis, it may not have been the help I was expecting to be given. 
One evening back in the 80s, I was asked to come to a local hospital to visit a man that I had met through the AIDS ministry group that I'd helped form over at South Maine. James had some family visiting with him when I got there, and he asked them if they please leave and let us have a few moments alone to talk. He wanted to plan his funeral, and he wanted me to do it. As we talked, he shared with me what his favorite scripture was and how much it had helped him all through his life. And he said, you have to use it in my service. He said that the scripture had helped him survive as a gay man coming to terms with his own sexuality in the world, a family, and a church that was not very welcoming of that. And when he got his diagnosis of AIDS at a time back when there were still no known treatments for the disease, the promise of the scripture continued to give him comfort. And even at that moment, as he was facing his death, he said, this scripture is still a source of strength to me. It was that last verse that I read from Isaiah, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount with wings of eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk not faint. The scripture gave hope to James, but what does it say to us in the midst of our own moments of darkness? It begins with talking about those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So I, the writer is talking about people who already believe in God and take God seriously. And to wait on the Lord is people who depend on God. And to these people, he promises, they will be given strength from beyond themselves. And then three ways that that strength will be given are good. First, the writer says, there will be ecstasy. The experience of rising up with the wings of eagles. Now that is an authentic way of experiencing God. To have those moments of absolute joy. There are times when we will soar like eagles in the midst of our religious experiences, but that's not the only way in which God gives us strength. When we're standing at the bedside of a dying friend or loved one, when we're standing in the silence of a cemetery, or when we're speaking with someone in the midst of sudden grief, celebration is impossible and it's inappropriate. The writer describes another way. They shall run and not be weary. The inspiration to rise above the challenge. So there is a time to take to action in the street, perhaps protesting or action at the ballot box. But when you're standing helpless in the midst of profound grief, there really isn't any room to take off running. But there's a third group, a part given in Isaiah's promise, and that's the gift of just endurance. The strength to walk and not faint. In some ways, that may seem like the least of the ways that we are being strengthened. But from my own experience, I think the writer really understood what we as humans really need because the hardest challenges in life come not in moments of great strength, but in those moments when we feel helpless and weak. 
What is more difficult than trying to keep on keeping on when you're surrounded by circumstances that you cannot change and all you can do is just endure that moment? When there isn't any reason to soar and there's certainly no room to run, the greatest promise we have is the strength to walk and not faint. It may seem small. But in fact, I believe it may be the best gift of all. I've heard sermons and I've read pious books that promise that if you will lift up your eyes and turn to God in prayer, all problems will be instantly go away and all darkness will turn to light. But in my own experience, that is a lie. Anyone who writes or speaks crap like that, I think, hasn't ever stood in the dark or else they are dishonest about what they experienced while they were there. Okay, that may be me being presumptuous, but all I can say is that for me, in my times of darkness, that has never happened to me. And there wasn't this great infilling of power that gave me answers to why that was happening and I didn't need ecstasy of flying with equals or the stamina of a marathon runner. What I needed at that moment and then in the days and weeks that followed was just the strength to eventually stand by myself and walk without thinking. And I can say honestly that the strength walk and not think has been given to me over and over again. I may not have soared and I may not have run a step, but by the grace of God, somehow I stayed on my feet. Just as Jesus, Jesus promised his disciples, I was not left an orphan, or as other translations put that, I was not left comfortless. I was just given the strength to stand in my own. Pray those families in Uvalde and each of us can tap into that strength and somehow just hold on. It may seem like a little thing, but when you're in the midst of your own darkness, when you don't have any reason to soar or room to run, believe me, that isn't a little thing at all. In those moments, the gift of endurance and patience gives you the strength to just stay on your feet and not give up. You may not be able to soar or run a step, but to walk and not faint, that is gift. And there are times, my friends, when that is not only enough, it is everything.